Hi, my name is Carly, and welcome to Arise's Sermon of the Week. We hope that you experience God as you listen to this message, and that you find practical ways to be the hands and feet of Jesus within your community. So, let's open up our spiritual ears as we listen to this message. Oh, so welcome, guys. My name is Brent. I get the privilege of being your lead pastor, and we're going to continue to experience God together today in what I believe is going to be another great message as God speaks to us from his word. Hey, we always celebrate as we get started. Today is no different, and I think this is super cool. Uh, A few months ago, or probably just over a month ago or something like that, we started soft launching the idea of doing translations in our services uh, through inner ear devices. And so you essentially tune into an FM radio that we give you with an inner ear uh, uh, monitor in your ear. And so you can sit there and hear the translation. That is official as of today. And so, yeah. Yeah. So all of our campuses are now in different languages. One of them's just always been. Uh, so at 9 o'clock in this Brandon campus, that's also translated into Malayalam. For those of you who don't know, we have a Malayalam speaking campus that they can translate for you into English if you want, Uh, and it's really fun to go to. That meets right now on Saturday nights, but I think we'll move to Sunday mornings here pretty soon in another location. And uh, so that's in Malayalam, and also this service is, or I'm sorry, 9 o'clock service is translated into Malayalam. The 11 o'clock right here now is translated into Spanish. And so if all my Spanish folks in the room can be a whoop, yeah, if you have... Spanish parents or grandparents or, or family that, that would want to come, but they don't understand the language, there's language barrier, bring them with you. You can uh, check out the uh, receiver and everything that you need at the connection desk, and, uh, and they can be a part of worship with you, and it'll be translated live in ear. Uh, as well as in the 10 a.m. service in South Shore, uh, we are translating into Portuguese. Somebody say Portuguese, yeah. We actually have a number of Brazilian folks down there that have been coming, and, and, uh, uh, and so that's being translated into Portuguese down there. So every service has a different language being translated. If it goes correctly, and it has so far, you English-speaking people would probably never even notice it's going on, but it's a beautiful way and just something worth celebrating. Amen? Yeah, I think that's pretty, pretty cool. All right, let's just go ahead and go there. How about those rays? Come on, y'all. I know you guys are in the 11 o'clock service because you stayed up way too late watching them have one of the greatest baseball games in the history of Major League Baseball and win on one of the most improbable plays ever. The game that for the first time, I think it was seven half innings in a row, the score went back and forth, never happened in the World Series like that ever, to score two runs in the ninth inning to win the game and tie it up now to two games to two games. These lowly Tampa Bay Rays who have no money and a bunch of reject players and rookies you've never heard of, you know, players that the guy did a base run, the, the, the base uh, single that won the game last night. Most of people have never even heard of his name before. You got to root for these guys, right? This is fun. This is fun, right? Like, I know we got a bunch of Yankees fans, but listen, let the Yankees go for a minute and just root for the Rays. They're the American League champ. They took your, your Yankees out with, with, you know, a tenth of their payroll, whatever. Um, and I, and I love that, but, but here's, what I, here's what I don't like about it. Like, and maybe I'm the only one like this, but I hate the suspense of these kind of games. I hate not knowing and like being on the edge of your seat, like, are we going to win? Are we not going to win? And sports does that to you, right? Like, like, like your blood pressure can go through the roof. Some of us will die younger because of games like that. 
right? Like we're just not going to make it through this <laughs> as long as we could have. Um, I think it was Christina Braddock that posted last night. She's like, my blood pressure, like I'm going to die because of watching, like I can't handle this, right? Uh, you know, it's just like you're stressed out. It's, it's crazy. And, and you just want to know who wins. Like, like, I don't know if you're like me. Like I would be good if somebody would just tell me the Rays are going to win. I would still watch it just to see how they're going to win. And it would take a lot of the stress. That's why I like movies, right? You go to watch Batman. I know Batman's going to live in the end. He's going to win. I know. But I still watch the movie to see how he does it, right? Like, I wish somebody could do that with sports, right? Just tell us who's going to win. Sometimes, sometimes the Bible can be that way, right? So you're reading the Bible, and you get into the stories of Israelites and their sin and their rebellion against God, and you're like, is this ever going to end? Are they going to win in the end, or do they lose? Or you read about Jesus and the crucifixion and what comes out of that, and you read about the early church and the persecution against them, and, and what's going to come out of that? Stephen got stoned, and are we going to lose? The good news is this. You can read the back of the book, which is the series we're in right now, and you can find out that we win. It, it doesn't take every bit of the stress of life away, but it does give you a destination that says, when I get there, we will win one way or the other. And I'm, you know, I might suffer through this moment or that moment, but we will win. And the, and the truth is, as we've been in this Revelation series, especially for six weeks as we went through the, the, the letters to the churches, uh, man, we had some hard messages. We had some messages that were like really calling people to holiness and tenacity. And we pulled up diamonds and talked about how God is forming us into diamonds through hardship. And if you're like me, and I know some of you are just way too saved for this. But if you're like me, there's a part of us that's kind of like, I hope I, can, I hope I can live up to the standard. I hope I can do this. I hope I'm good enough for this. Like, you know, pastor's calling us to repentance. But what if it's too hard for repentance? What if life gets too difficult what if and so you can find yourself in this place of of teetering going I really want to live to the standard we're being called to but I'm not even positive I can this is the good part of this message that we win in the end (laughs) and so over the next three weeks as we wrap up the revelation series the longest series I have ever done in 23 years almost now of ministry the longest series I've ever done is the one that you're in right now And I thought it was very timely and something God had specifically called us to do. And as we wrap up this series with the next three messages, we're really going to be in one way or the other showing you how we win in the end. And so it's not just that we win, but how do we win? And by the way, because everybody's always interested in this, as soon as you bring up the book of Revelation, uh, everybody's like, what about the Mark of the Beast? What about the Antichrist? You've been waiting all these weeks. That's next week. Okay, it's finally here. We're going to talk about the Antichrist and Mark of the Beast next week. So don't miss next week. Uh, you, you will love that. All right. Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 11 says this. Then war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. The dragon, as you're about to see, is an image of the devil. Fought against the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was not strong enough. They lost their place in heaven. Somebody say Amen. The great dragon was hurled down. I don't know about you, but I picture WWF right here. Hulk Hogan, you know, Andre the Giant. I don't know most of the new people, but, but body slamming somebody down. The great dragon was, was hurled, hurled down. And they lost their place in heaven. Uh, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the whole world astray. He was hurled down to the earth and his angels with him. <clears throat> then I heard a loud voice in heaven say, 
Now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. Listen to this next part. For the accuser, the what? Let me hear you say it. The what? For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, or brethren, as some of you might have memorized it in King James. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters, who accuses them before God every once in a while. When he feels like it. How often does he accuse you before God? Day and night. You could say unceasing all the time. Who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. I love it. I love it. I love it. If you're ready, say amen. Amen. And we're going to have some fun. Number one, if you're taking notes, there is war in the spirit realm. This verse started out with, with war broke out in heaven, but most of us don't picture heaven this way. Like, like the traditional picture of heaven, there's clouds and babies and harps and peace and everything so sweet and gentle. And the devil is not in heaven, the devil's in hell. And he's got a pitchfork and he's poking people on their butts in hell and, and you know, giving them what for. And, and that's the way it's supposed to look, right? But that's not the biblical perspective of, of heaven that we see in this particular passage. That there is actually war going on in the spirit realm. <laughs> Uh, And the devil is looming around the earth looking for whom he can accuse and devour and then accusing them before the Father in heaven. So we got to recognize that there is war going on. That's the first little thought I want us to see, that in the midst of our world of of peace and prosperity, uh, in the midst of our world, it can be very difficult to see or symbolically see in the spirit realm the war that's going on. You know, if we lived in the Middle East or someplace where war was outside all the time, we could see it more easily in the spirit realm. If, if we lived in, in parts of Africa or other countries where you have witch doctors and voodoo doctors in Haiti and places like that, it's a little easier to, to symbolically see the war that's going on because you see it with your own eyes. It's, it, it's easier to see. But in America, where it's mostly a land of peace and prosperity, we can find ourselves unprepared for the spiritual war that's taking place because we get lulled to sleep by the peace and prosperity of America. But make no mistake, this is a moment where we either enlist or we get defeated. Now, you see multiple times in the Bible, Ezekiel 28, uh, Isaiah 14, the most obvious places in the book of Job, where Satan seems to have access to heaven and earth, and he goes back and forth between the two. You know the famous story of Job, many of you do, where, where he goes up to heaven and makes accusations against Job, comes back down and then tempts Job, and he's kind of going back and forth in this manner. And you see that image of, 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 of this, 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 this devil who goes back and forth between the two. Now, with that being said, I want to call up a couple people. We're going to do this illustrated-wise. Uh, you guys who I mentioned before service, uh, the two of you that I called up, just run up here real quick. I appreciate it. And I want you to see this. This is key. Um, who we got? Where, where's Ernie? Run over here real fast, Ernie. <clears throat> Ernie, you going to play the part of the devil. Throw that over, tie that on you there. So you, you, get to, you get to be the devil. There's another one right there. Yeah. So you get to be the devil for a second. And the devil works like this. The devil tempts you on earth and accuses you in heaven. All right, so come, y'all, y'all come stand up here. Everybody always wants to get far back. Get up in the lights. Anybody ever been to Marino's? I should own stock in Marinos because I'm sure I double their business every Sunday I talk about them. That looks good. That came from Marinos this morning. It is fresh. And what happens, come on over here. 
what happens is the enemy loves to tempt. And he's going around going, you, you need this. And he doesn't tempt with things you don't want. If you don't want this in this room, something's wrong with you. I'm just saying. You may not should have it. It may not be good for you. It might be bad for your diabetes or something. But this is what the devil does. And he walks around and he tempts you on earth. And then you got to see this. Then he will run to the Father in heaven and accuse you of the very thing he tempted you to do. So he's both an accuser of the brethren, brothers and sisters, as we just read, and he's the tempter. So he comes to you and tempts you with things and then goes up to heaven and accuses you of things. Now, the word accuse was an ancient word even in the time when Revelation was written. And it literally is a legal term that means to go against the assembly or, or to be excluded from the assembly. In other words, it's a charge of treason that the person is a traitor, that they are no longer one of you anymore. So the devil tempts you with temptations that would make you a traitor and then runs up and accuses you of being a traitor to God. It would be nice if the temptations were as easy as a Moreno's cupcake. But they're not. And you have your own temptations that are different probably than the person who's even next to you. And not only does he do this, but this is key to understand in this message. How often is the devil tempting? Day and? Day and? He's always doing it. He is unceasing and unre- he is unrelenting. He's relentless. He is always tempting, always trying to get you to bite that cupcake, to step into that thing that's there. And, and he'll bring up your faults. He'll bring up everything that's against you. He'll remind you of, of, of everything that you've ever done wrong. And you ate the cupcake before. I don't know why you wouldn't eat it this time. I mean, you ate it last month. You ate it before you were saved and nothing happened when you ate it. What's the big deal about that? And he's constantly bringing up these temptations and then accusing of the very temptation. Here's a complete side note of the message, but especially in our political season we're in right now, be very careful that you don't start sounding like the devil. Accusing everybody of things that you have insider information that nobody else knows about, and you accusing everybody of everything, and you start speaking the language of the devil. But that's a whole other message for another time. So he's accusing. You know what he really is? I'll say it this way. So... uh, in our house right now, we have Elijah and Brody. Elijah's nine, Brody's four. They're at that age uh, where this scenario happens a lot. Like, like Elijah comes running down the stairs all upset, and he says, Brody called me stupid. And I'm a good parent. I'm a good dad. Ada's a great peace-loving mother. I'm like, well, are you bleeding? Do we need to go to the hospital? Grow up, put your big boy pants on, and stop this, right? Ada's like, oh, tell, tell him stop calling me stupid. Right, all that. If you have ever had kids, if you've ever babysat kids, if you've ever been in the room with kids somewhere, you have experienced the tattletale nature of kids. Well, they did this to me. They did this. I can't believe they did this, right? We've experienced that. Here's the thing. Satan, the devil, is a big, fat tattletale. That's really what he is. He runs, tempts you, gets you to make a mistake, and then he runs to the father going, Dad, you see what he did? See what she did? See, you see how she bit that? You see what she did? And he runs, he's a tattletale. He's a tattletale. And this is what we're seeing. This is just my version of it. You may disagree. This is my version of it. And this is what we're seeing in Revelation 12. Because every parent, once this goes on for a while, like, like for a short time, like you're like, okay, whatever. After a while, after a while, you're like, okay, enough is enough. Stop tattling. I don't care. 
you know, are you bleeding? Do you got to go to the hospital? Grow up. Stop tattling on each other. Right? You're back in the car. He touched me. He touched me. He's like, stop touching each other or I'm going to touch you really hard on the backside. Okay? You know I me. Mean? I know it's not politically correct, but whatever. <laughs> right? And so every parent comes to that moment. Let me tell you what's happening in the story in my perspective. So the devil keeps accusing over and over. Accusing. Ah, you shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do this. Tempting, accusing, tempting, accusing. Finally, God the Father says, enough is enough. I am done with this. I am tired of this. Enough is enough. And he looks over at the archangel, Michael. That's what you see in Revelation 12. It says, Michael, go get him. And Michael goes and gets the devil and hurls him out. It's an eviction notice. The devil used to be up there accusing you. Come on, y'all. The devil used to be able to go up into heaven and accuse you and accuse you and accusing you. And no, Michael said, no, dad said you had to leave. Anybody have a big brother? Like there's different ways of shutting down the, the frustration and shutting down the tattletale perspective. But in our house, we have an 18-year-old son, a bigger brother of the two younger ones, right? And in our house, we can look over and say, Ty, go tell them to stop. Ty, throw him out. Like, Ty, make them go play in the backyard. Ty, go. And so he sends the bigger brother, he sends Michael out. It says, Michael, grab him by the ear, hurl him out of heaven. Eviction notice being served. Are y'all with me this morning? He says, listen, there is coming a time, we're not there yet, but there's coming a time where he will no longer accuse you because enough is enough. Enough is enough. And it's coming. That's what Revelation 12 is saying. Now, now we get to the part that everybody loves. Now we get to the part that most of you could quote. We just sang about it. It's in a lot of different songs. It's in a lot of our theology. Verse 11, the very next verse says this. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb, in the word of their testimony, they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. This is where it really starts to get good. Because we, meaning the remnant, which I'll unpack in a moment, we will overcome and triumph over the enemy. That was good for three of you. <coughs> Let's try that again. We will overcome and triumph over the enemy. I'm glad a few of you did. And it starts like this. We win by applying the blood. The blood, the enemy hates the blood. The devil hates the blood. It's like mosquito repellent to him. He does not want anything to do with the blood. And it almost goes back to this perspective of the Passover. If you go way back, and they would, they would pass over on the mantle, the blood. They would put the blood on the, on the mantle, and the, 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 the angel that would cause death would pass over the house. All of a sudden, when you apply the blood of Jesus to your life, the enemy has to start passing over you and not staying on you. Y'all with me? <clears throat> John looked out at Jesus and said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so you start applying the blood. One of the problems that we have is we don't apply the blood enough sometimes. We, we talk about it. We use it like a Christian abracadabra. It's not a Christian abracadabra. It is the most powerful thing in the world, the blood of Jesus Christ that saves us from all of our sins. But we don't apply it. We applied it when we got saved. We applied it back here and back here when something comes up. But if the enemy is attacking day and night... How often should you be applying the blood to your life? All the time. And so you, 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 you apply the blood to your life, and then all of a sudden, it's like you can't touch this. Do, 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 do. Can I throw this over your head? You're, you're the best. Here, I'll hold that. You can stick your arms in. 
And all of a sudden, can't touch this. All of a sudden, the accusations that the enemy wants to make, they cannot stick on you because the blood applies. Because of the blood. The accusations can't stick. The blood says, the blood says who you belong to. It's like a wedding ring. I put a wedding ring on, and all of a sudden, I don't belong to any other female out there. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like there's certain rules about that all of a sudden, because the wedding ring says, now I belong to somebody else. The blood of Jesus Christ says, no, no, she's mine. You can't touch this devil. Doesn't mean he can't try. Doesn't mean he can't tempt you. But he cannot ultimately prevail because of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's on and off. Scoot over. I keep walking way over there. Yeah, get right there. Right there. You're good. And the blood overcomes Satan's accusations. Now, Satan comes with his temptation. Come over here. Satan comes with his, his temptation. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. <laughs> he comes with the temptation. She may eat it. She may eat the forbidden fruit. You have your own forbidden fruit. She may eat the forbidden fruit, the very thing God said not to do. You with me? So therefore, his temptation might work. The accusation that he comes and brings to the Father might very well be true. Right? However, the blood of Jesus Christ pays for that penalty of sin already. So even if the accusation is true, the applied blood says, no, you don't get no harm from it, though. All of a sudden, God the Father does not bring the justice to you that he should be bringing. He does not bring something against you because now the blood of Jesus Christ. You do know the book of Hebrews says the blood speaks a better word than the word of Abel. Your blood, the blood speaks, and the blood is saying, no, no, she's mine. It doesn't matter. She's applied the blood. That's forgiven. It's gone. You, you can't hold that over. You can accuse all you want, but you can't hold it over her any longer. <laughs> See, we got to apply the blood of Jesus Christ in order to become an overcomer. His blood cleanses. It empowers us. But it's not just the blood that we use to win, because it says we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the what? And the word of our testimony, word of our testimony. Yeah, let's see if you get that over all that hair. <laughs> you can pull it out if you want. You can fix it. <clears throat> Your testimony, as you share it, is incredibly powerful. Here's the thing, because your testimony is not about your works or your strength, because you are not saved by those things. So we have an American version of the gospel that we all love to celebrate, and it's not always wrong, but we love to make movies about it, write books about it. We love to celebrate it, make many uh, documentaries about it that says he pulled himself up by his bootstraps and he fought through adversity and he made it happen and he was too small to play on the team. And, you know, the Tampa Bay Rays were the lowest payroll or one of the lowest payrolls. And they still made it to the top. And, and basically celebrating a person's own strength and tenacity and character, those aren't necessarily bad things, but that's not the testimony we're talking about right here. This is not the testimony of, hey, look how good I am. This is the testimony of what the blood has done. This is our testimony of his works. Are you with me? It's our testimony of his works. And the enemy hates hearing it. The enemy can't stand hearing it. So you put it up to your mouth and all of a sudden you start barking things to him. He gets even further away. He can't stand hearing about how, he, how, how, how he's already failed, how the blood has already worked. He can't stand it. And our testimony is sharing what the blood has already done. Are you all with me this morning? 
It's, it's not, this, this is where we mis, mix it up in the church sometimes. It's not your testimony of how you work so hard. It's not your testimony of how you're such a good person. It's not even your testimony of how you go to church every Sunday or how you raise the kids right. It's your te- He's not running from that one. He's running when you start testifying of the blood of Jesus Christ and God's grace on your life. And he doesn't like that. It's like Nickelback. You just get out of the car and let the car drive on. <laughs> Some of you got that. Some of you won't. See, your testimony is so, so powerful. There's something about hearing testimonies of the grace of God in somebody's life that just radically changes things, that'll build you up and strengthen you internally. Go on YouTube and watch testimonies of things and watch to see if your faith is not built up. And all of a sudden you find yourself stronger than you ever thought you were. You know, years ago, Ada started listening to testimonies. She would, I would come home and she was always watching sermons and listening to testimonies of physical healings and miracles and, and, and great things like that happening, these, these amazing gifts inside the church. And then I watched as that faith that she invested in herself through YouTube videos and testimonies and sermons all of a sudden started manifesting in her laying hands on people and they were healed and deliverance happening. And it's because she built up her most holy faith is the way Paul would say it. She built it up inside of herself so then she could go walk out and do it. How often do we not build up our own faith and so we never walk into the gifts that God had prepared for us? God had always prepared Ada to be a person of faith and and, and signs and miracles and wonders. But until she built up her own strength, she would never accomplish those things. Listen, you you could have the frame to become a bodybuilder, but until you get in the gym and start working out, until you start watching what you eat, blah, blah, blah. Am I right, Carrie? (laughs) Until you find yourself in that place, you will never become what you have the potential to be. When you start listening to more testimonies, all of a sudden it strengthens your inner man and you find that you can be bigger and greater and do more than you ever thought you could do. So you are sharing your testimony of what God has done and the enemy hates it. How often do we do that? How often do we still share the testimony of what God has done in our life? Sometimes the longer we live, the less we share it. Right at first, the first Two months, three months, six months. Man, we were telling people we couldn't believe that God's grace was sufficient enough for you because you were jacked up. You know you were jacked up. Some of you, it's been so long ago, you forgot how jacked up you were. Come on now. And so we, 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 we forget as time goes on. But there's a direct correlation between your worship and your remembrance of God's grace on your life. You'll worship greater when you remember what God's done. That's what Pastor Jason does all the time is trying to remind us of God's grace on our life. And you start speaking that out. The devil hates it. He he starts fleeing from it. Listen, your testimony revolves around. Y'all hear it this way. Y'all hear it. Because y'all aren't getting it. So let me help you get it. Your testimony revolves around your butt. Yes, I just said that. But for the grace of God, I once was lost but now I am found. I once was on drugs, but now I'm clean. <laughs> Y'all just got to remember it somehow. Look at your neighbor and say, you got a nice butt. It's one T, not two T's. There's a couple of teenage boys that's been like, I've been wanting to say that to her for months. Pastor just gave me permission. Listen, I'm telling you, you need to leave here this morning and go tell somebody about your butt. Not that butt but the grace of God, but. 
The butt that said I was on drugs, I was messed up, my marriage was a mess, I was suicidal, I was addicted to this thing and that thing, but God saved me, but God rescued me, but for the grace of God. Yeah. And when you start sharing that testimony, the enemy starts running, he does not like it, because you are testifying to the blood of Jesus Christ. <laughs> got to be so careful. Never come into agreement with what the devil says about you. We got to be so, so very, very careful of that because the devil will whisper. Get back over here. The devil will whisper things in your ear. The devil will tell you, you are not good enough for salvation. The devil will tell you, you did this all on your own. That wasn't God. You're the one that went to school. You're the one who studied hard. You're the one who, who, who worked that job you didn't want to work. And the devil will whisper all these things. And if you're not careful, you'll start coming into agreement, not with the blood, but with what he says. How many people never get saved because they still don't feel like they're good enough to be saved? I'm still not good enough to come to Christ. I, I got to get clean before I come to Christ. Silly things like that we say. Not because that's what the blood speaks. It's the opposite. It's because that's what the enemy is speaking and some people are like, I'm, 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 I'm a quitter, I'm a loser, I'm a sinner, I'm a fake. But that's not what the blood's speaking. That's, that's what you're saying, that's what he's saying. But the blood doesn't say you're a loser, the blood said you are righteous, you are loved, you are an overcomer. He says, no, you're a drug addict. And the blood says, no, you are pure, you are, you are holy in my sight. You have to speak what you hear the blood saying, not what you hear the enemy saying. That's easy. All right, now we got to get to the hard part. <clears throat> Verse 11 says, They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. And this is the part that we don't like. This is the part that never makes it into worship songs. This is the part that most of us never quote the end of it. Because this is the part where it gets hard. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. Hmm. Overcomers have surrendered their life to Christ. They've surrendered their lives to Christ. If you're going to be a person who is an overcoming person, it's not just going to be the blood. That'll get you into heaven. It's not just going to be your testimony. That'll help you withstand some persecution. But you're going to have to be a person that picks up your cross and applies it to your own life that dies to your own flesh. You're going to have to be a person that carries around this cross. And it's out of that cross that all of a sudden true freedom starts to be found. It, in fact, if you really want to make the devil run, if you really want to get him on the, on, on the run away from you, don't show him the cross, get on the cross. You know, there's so many horror movies right now, and, and they've been out forever, right? It's been gone forever, but, but, but with horror movies, like, like this, the, the bad guy's chasing you, right? The mummy or the whatever's chasing you, and the demon or whatever, and all of a sudden they pull out the cross, usually the crucifix, because the Catholic thing usually, and they, they pull out the cross, and the devil goes, hey, right? I'm just going to be honest. The devil is not scared of the cross. If he was scared of the cross, he would not enter all those rooms that have crosses on the door frames. He's not scared of the cross. He's scared to death when you get on it. Because when you get on the cross, you know who you start to look like? You look a lot like that butt whooping he got 2,000 years ago on Calvary. You look like a reminder that not only is the blood now applied to your life, but you are choosing to self-sacrifice yourself, to surrender yourself to him, to pick up your cross daily and follow him. And you start shouting that at him? You put him on the run real fast. Just, just, just help, help me out real fast. Help me out. Go to that next slide. Philippians. <clears throat> Put that megaphone up. 
Here, I'll hold this for you while you do that. Read those scriptures. Just, just, just attack the devil for a minute. Go after him. For me to live is Christ and die is gain. Yeah, Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Come on. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me <laughs> and gave himself for me. 1 Peter 2.24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we may die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Oh, come on, y'all. You can have that back. Come here. All of a sudden, when you start living out of the place of death, the enemy really, really, really hates that. Because you resemble the one whose death and resurrection makes him defeated. You're reminding him of what has already happened. And these people, this remnant of people, learn how to die to themselves. And they start to realize that survival is not the most important thing living for Jesus is. It says they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. And they find themselves, this is, why, this is why I'm using the word remnant. Because when I say we will overcome, let me be very clear, not all of we will. Not all of we will. Because there is a remnant of people as times get harder. There are some that will fall off the wagon. There are some that will walk away from Christ. There will some that won't make it through. But there is a remnant who learn how to crucify the flesh, who learn how to die to themselves daily, who learn how to take it all, uh, take, take on the, the, the mind of Christ. And this remnant learns how to battle with themselves so they can battle with the spirit realm. It's, it's opposite of everything else in America. America is all about what makes me happy. You can come back out here. America is all about what makes me happy. The remnant says... Those who crucify the flesh says, it's not what makes me happy, it's what makes him happy. Therefore, I will, I will die to the things that make me happy sometimes so that I can please the Lord. And this is, this is insane. This is crazy in our society today. The, the idea that you would do things that you don't necessarily want to do for the sake of a greater good. The idea that you would, I don't know, maybe fast. In the world where you have a McDonald's and a Burger King on every corner, but you're going to choose not to eat? That's insane. Why would you do that? You are a religious nut. Come on, y'all. It's insane in our society. See, the remnant deny their, they deny their own happiness and instead accept the cross. This doesn't mean you can't have anything happy. This is not what it means at all. But the remnant are those who are saying, listen, it's not about me. I died to myself. I am dead in Christ. It is not about me. It's about him. So it's not what I want. It's what does he want. And when you start living that way, you truly step into the lane of being an overcomer. Luke 9, 23, go to that slide. <clears throat> then he said to them all, this is Jesus, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross. How often? How often? That's quite a coincidence, isn't it? Because how often is the enemy accusing you and, and, and tempting you? Huh. Huh. You could probably just use the word continuously in both of those. That you need to pick up your cross because he is still attacking and accusing you. And that is one of the ways you defeat him daily. Take up their cross and follow me. Galatians 5.24 says, Those who belong to Christ, uh, Christ Jesus have been crucified, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. 
In Mark, Jesus said, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Romans 12 says, therefore I say to you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. <laughs> that's hard. That's, that's why we never talk about the last line of Revelation 12, 11. The first two are fun. They're awesome. Apply the blood. Share your testimony. Yeah, die to yourself. Oh, oh. The first two, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus shed the blood. You didn't have to do anything for that. You just accept it. The second part's not much harder. You just share a testimony of what Jesus has done. That's kind of natural. But the remnant, those who find true spiritual maturity, will be the ones who say, I'm not going to live for myself. My life is not my own. What's the line we sang during worship a minute ago? It's not over until I'm dead. If I'm not dead, you're not done. The, the remnant, the spiritually mature, find themselves in this place and say, until I'm fully dead to my own nature, I'm, you're not done with me, Lord. And you pick up your cross daily and defeat the enemy. Y'all put your hands together for these guys. Y'all did, did amazing. Thank you. See, the blood, of, the blood was done by Jesus. Your testimony is, is, is just response to the blood. It's relatively easy, but dying to yourself can be so hard. It can mean deleting that text you were about to send. It, it can mean deleting that post or that comment you were about to write or you wrote and you know you shouldn't be posting. <laughs> it, it could mean asking forgiveness for somebody that hurts you and doesn't deserve forgiveness could be letting go of that thing in the past. It could involve fasting. It could involve your, your, your finances and, and giving your finances to God instead of holding them close and saying, I will give to you, Lord. It all belongs to you. It could be your marriage. It could be your relationships. It could be all kinds of things. I can only tell you this, that when you let go of it, when you die to yourself, the gift of God that he replaces it with is always better. There's going to be nobody in eternity. It might look like it even on this side of eternity, but there will be nobody in eternity that says it wasn't worth it. It's not going to happen. I think of um, a little girl that was going through the grocery store checkout line and, and she's going through this line and she sees this pearl necklace that's hanging there, you know, cheap fake pearl necklace and starts losing her mind for it. She's like, mom, mom, buy this for me. I've got to have this. Get me this necklace, mom. Please buy me this necklace. And the mom looks at the price and it's like, you know, $12. And mom says, listen, I'm not going to buy this for you. But if you work, you know, I got some chores around the house you can do. You got a birthday coming up. You can raise the money and you can go buy it yourself. It's a great parenting technique, by the way. Don't just buy your kids everything. Let them earn it. And so this little girl gets all excited. She goes home and she starts working her tail off. She's vacuuming floors and making beds and, you know, all the different things she can do to make money, washing dishes and, you know, earning 50 cent here and a dollar here and so on. And then she has a birthday and gets some birthday money. And sure enough, real quick, she has her $12. <clears throat> so she goes back to the store and lo and behold, the last pearl necklace that they have there, there's only one left. All the others have been sold. The last pearl necklace that's there, the little girl gets it and buys it. And she loves it. You know, you always love something more that you've paid a price for, something you've had to earn yourself. And so she loves it. It's special to her. It's valuable to her. She wears it all the time. She sleeps in it. She eats in it. She goes to school in it. She wears it all the time. It's the most wonderful thing in her life. 
And even at times, she, she treats it delicately and makes sure that nobody's going to do anything that would hurt it and, and all this. And it's just her prized possession, this sweet little girl. One night, her dad's tucking her into bed. And as he's tucking her into bed, he looks at her and says, do you love me? She says, yes, daddy, you know I love you. He said, well, then will you give me that pearl necklace? She said, dad, I don't think you need a pearl necklace. You're a man for one. Secondly, you can go buy your own. Dad, you don't need that pearl necklace. He said, okay. A few nights later, he's tucking her into bed, reading her a night story, good night story, and gets done with it. He says, sweetheart, do you love me? She said, dad, you know I love you. He said, then will you give me that pearl necklace? She says, dad, I can't give you my pearl necklace. I'll give you my My Little Pony set. I'll give, you, I'll give you my clothes over here. I'll give you this thing on the dresser. But dad, I can't give you my pearl necklace, dad. He said, okay. A few days later, he's tucking her in again at night, and praying with her and telling her a story. And gets done and he says, sweetheart, do you love me? By this point, she knows what's coming. She says, yes, I love you, dad, but I can't give you the necklace. Don't even ask. I can't give you my necklace. I love this necklace, dad. It's my favorite. Anything else in this room, dad, anything you want in this room is yours. Just ask. It's all yours, dad. I'll give you anything, but I can't give you my pearl necklace. It's my prized possession. He said, okay, I understand. Plays out again a couple nights later. He's telling her a good night story. And as he's telling her the story, she starts tearing up and she's crying. He doesn't even get to the point that he has to ask this time. As the tears are coming down her face, she reaches up and pulls off the pearl necklace off of her shoulders. He says, Dad, if you really want it, I don't know why you want it. It doesn't make any sense to me. But Dad, if you really want this, with tears coming down her face, her most prized possession, she said, it's yours. I'll give it to you because I do love you, Daddy. She puts it in his hand. And as if he knew this was coming, he reaches into his pocket. And as she handed him the fake pearl necklace, he pulls out a real pearl necklace of real pearls, far more costly, far more special than the fake pearls that were $12 at the Winn-Dixie line. Gives her the real pearl necklace and she erupts. Can't believe that her dad would give her such a great thing. How often does God want to do something great in our life, but we won't let go of what we have first? How often is it that God wants to bless you, God wants to do this thing for you, but we hold on to the thing that seems so special to us. But it's really not. We think it is. And God's going, I have something so much greater on the other side of surrender. On the other side of picking up the cross and following me. On the other side of dying to yourself. I have something so much better for you, but yet we hold on to ourselves. We hold on to our money. God, I can't tithe, I can't, I can't give. God, I, I need this much money to survive, I need this. And you've allowed me to work for this and I don't know why you would want it anyway. You got the cattle on a thousand hills, so I'm gonna hold on to this. And God's going, okay, I'll love you either way. But if you want the blessings of God, you have to release the things that you're holding on to so I can put something else in that hand. Could be your love life. I can't tell you how many times I've seen people that they want to control their own love life and, and I make this happen and, and I know who I want and this and that. And God's going, listen, I, I know who you want. I know who I have for you. But until you surrender this to me, I can't bring the other person. My, my story is that. I think Ada would say the exact same thing about me. Something miraculous happens 
when we pick up our cross. And it looks so ugly and it looks so hard and it's in itself, it hurts us a little bit. Because I don't want to do this. But as we pick up our cross and we die to ourselves and surrender it over to the Lord, he gives us something so much better in return. Could be your career, could be all kinds of things. What do you need to let go of? I know for most of us in this room, we've applied the blood of Jesus Christ. For most of us, we know the testimony. We know our butt moment with God that we can share and it's beautiful and it's powerful. But how much are we actually picking up the cross and not loving our lives unto death? Willing to recognize that the greatest thing in life is not happiness, it's following Jesus. The greatest thing in life is not all about me. It's surrendering of me so I can find true life. It's in death that you find true life according to the gospel. Would you stand up with me around the room? What do you need to let go of? There's a few of us in this room that we don't know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Maybe we did at some point in the past, but we don't now. Maybe we've walked away from the Lord. Maybe we never have made a commitment to the Lord. And there's some of us in this room that that's where we're at in the story. You know, we started out talking about sports and the Rays and the winning teams and all that. I was thinking about the movie Back to the Future. I know some of you don't even know about that movie, but you should. If you're under 25, you're like, what is that? The movie Back to the Future, and I think it's the second one or whatever when he goes in the future. And Biff, the bad guy in the movie, ends up finding the sports almanac that has all the future winning teams on it. And he goes back, and, and when, when Marty McFly, Michael J. Fox, goes into the future, Biff has now become super wealthy because he always knew who the winning team would be. He was always able to bet on the winning team because he had the sports almanac that said who the winning team was going to be. That's not a bad gig. Like, if we always knew who the winning team would be, I would always root for the winning team, and I would look super smart. In the midst of our world of chaos and turbulence, it can feel in moments like Christ is not winning and Christianity will not prevail, and in the end, we will lose. Just like any event, just like any game. Any... But Revelation teaches us that we do win and then shows us how we win. Again, we'll finish out up the next couple weeks. But we do win. Therefore, how foolish would it be for me to bet on the losing side when I know what the winning side is going to be. Yet there are some of us in this room that we are still holding out and refusing to give our lives to Christ because we think somehow we are losing something when we do that. But as I just shared that story, we actually gain everything when we let it go. Why, why would you bet on the losing side when you know who the winner is going to be? Would you bow your heads with me for just a moment before we wrap everything up? Are you on God's side? There are some of you in this room, you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Again, maybe you did years ago, maybe you did months ago, but you've walked away from Christ. Today is your moment to give your allegiance to him and saying, God, I want to be part of your team. I want to surrender over to you. I want to follow you in your ways. If that's you in this room, I'm not going to belabor the moment or make it bigger than it is. I want you to have a real encounter with Jesus this morning. And if that's you here this morning, stick your hand up and wave it at me. I want to pray with you around this room. Amen. Come on, everybody, everybody pray this with me for a moment. Say, Jesus, I need you. 
And from this day forward, I surrender my life completely to you. I give you all. Now wash me in your blood and make me new. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, come on. Listen, if, if you just surrendered your, your life to Christ for the first time, God is going to activate some things in you that you may not even know are there. Your world will start looking different and be different than it ever was. So make sure you talk to somebody who can walk with you on that journey. Find one of the pastors after service. Uh, you can also text Jesus to 21777, and we'll start a 21-day devotional with you that we'll send you uh, just to walk you through the steps. We're not going to bombard you with stuff, but just, just walk you through uh, some, some thoughts as you have just given your life to Christ. But that's so awesome. We love you. Now let me just switch gears and talk to everybody else in the room for a second. Let me ask you these big three questions. How are you applying Jesus' blood to your life? Some of us, we applied the blood when we got saved, so to speak, but we never talk about it ever again. We never talk, we, we never live in it. We never pray that God washes us clean ever again. How are you sharing your testimony? Because there's some of us that we shared our testimony years ago, and then that turned into wearing a Christian t-shirt, which I don't think counts. I don't, I don't need to share my testimony, Pastor. I got a Christian bumper sticker. Listen, I hope you get the Arise stickers and stick them on your cars. Don't cut people off afterwards. But that doesn't quality count as, as testimony. <laughs> How are you dying to yourself? Because this is the way most of us are. Most of us are like, God, I'll give you anything, but I'm not asking what you want. So therefore, you have to chase me down to speak to me. How often do we actually come to God and say, God, show me what you want me to sacrifice in my life to find more of you? It might be a huge thing, might be a small thing. That's what the remnant does. That's what the remnant does. So we're going to sing this last, this last song. And as we do, I want us to worship with all of our heart for just a moment. It's just going to be a short time. And I want us to find ourselves back at this place of applying the blood of Jesus, sharing our testimony, and dying to ourselves. Because that is how we overcome. That is how Michael throws the devil, your accuser, out of heaven. and says, you will overcome by the, blood of the by the blood of the Lamb, the word of our testimony, and not loving our lives unto death. Next week, make sure you're here as we talk about the Antichrist and the Mark of the Beast. It's going to be a blast. But let's worship the Lord for just a moment. Come on, Pastor Jason. Hey guys, wasn't that such an amazing message? If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and to follow our podcast. Also, make sure to share this with your friends on social media and use the hashtag MyAriseChurch. For more information or to give to this ministry, go to MyAriseChurch.com. I hope to see you guys soon.